0: see
1: You got to be proud of your kids. I, I have become confident of this. If your kids connect within Heart of Life, they will be introduced to a life that gives itself away, a life that serves, and I love that. I mean, are you kidding? 100,000 meals? 247 kids can eat for a year? I mean, being a part of something so much bigger than yourself, being a part of something that so extends beyond just you. At a young age, we want our kids to have a song set in their heart. And it's the song of this series that we're diving into, Put Me in Coach. See, I love the fact that even our littlest ones are not just waiting for a day when they grow up. They're saying, I can play today. Put me in coach. And I want that to be the filter for them regarding the church for the rest of their life. This is who the church is to be. And it has been the description of the church so far in our study of Acts. A people that are crazy generous giving away their lives. A people who are joyful in doing that. A people who are courageous in the mission to which they have been called. However, I don't know if you know this or not, there are no perfect churches this side of heaven. Did you know that? There are no perfect churches this side of heaven. So, if you're looking for that one, um, what you're actually wishing for, you need to rethink, all right? Because that's only found one place. So, if you're ready to go, that's what you need to ask for, all right? But there are no perfect churches this side of heaven. And so, what I feel like saying sometimes is to people who are kind of new, Toward this gathering or any gatherings of heart of life, and and, and maybe you're kind of uh, maybe you're checking it out for some of the first times, and, and you're kind of latching on to maybe this is where I, I want to, to plant my life or my family's life. Here's the warning I give you: give us a couple of months, and depending on your timing, it might only take a couple of days. We'll let you down in some way. We're gonna let you down in some way, and the reason is. Not on purpose, but there's just no perfect churches this side of heaven. Some of those are simple mistakes that can be made along the way, but sometimes it's bigger threats. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you kind of a 30,000 foot view of a, of a, a couple of places here in Acts where we see some common threats from the inside. Really two common threats that I want to show you today that that really every church has to deal with. Now we've already learned about threats from the outside. We have learned that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, there will be people who reject that gospel, but they don't just reject the message. They reject Jesus and therefore the people who are aligned with him. And they will either try to marginalize you or there will be persecution. They even at times seek to destroy. There is a threat from the outside. But today, we're going to deal with two consistent issues that have a way of creeping up from the inside. We left off in chapter 4. So if you want to grab your Bible and head to Acts chapter 4, we're going to read a verse there and then we're going to move into chapter 5. Here's what it says, the last part of Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Everybody doing good today? I don't know how you couldn't be doing good after that block of praise that we just got to be in together. That was really cool. Uh, Some of you ought to be doing really good too because you were at the the date night event last night. And that was super cool. So much fun. Um, We so appreciate all the folks who who worked to make that possible. Um, We're doing that again soon because that was just a blast. Here we go. Acts chapter 4 verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Do you wish people would look at you and go, let's nickname him encouragement? That's not the name they call some of y'all, right? (laughs) Barnabas was the son of encouragement. We'll just leave it there, all right? Sold a field he owned. And brought the money and put it at the apostles feet Wow now that kind of shocks us but it really doesn't shock us because that's the pattern we've been reading so far these people are crazy generous their, their, their stuff doesn't own them they own their stuff and so when they see a need they meet the need and everybody's looking at each other going hey you got cash no I don't have any cash you, you got cash no I don't have any cash well let's sell something and let's meet the need of this person that we love and care for so much That'd be wild to be a part of that kind of church. So here's what happens. Turn the page, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Right? Everybody's selling property. Barnabas sells the property. Now Ananias and Sapphira are selling the property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and what? Died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, oh, that's the feet of the men who buried your husband. They're at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You think? When people start dropping because God's taken them out for their sin, I would say fear might be an appropriate word that would be attached to that. Now, here's what I want to make sure we understand going into the story. The issue was not, at all, ever, the fact that they wanted to keep some of the proceeds of the sale of the land for themselves. That was not the issue. The issue was they sold the land, brought the money, and made everybody else think That they had given it all. There wasn't a problem with them selling the land and keeping part of it and giving part of it. That wouldn't have like been an issue. The problem was they pretended. The problem was they made everybody else think that they were something that they were not. This is the threat, first threat. It's a threat, a drift toward pretending. And every church deals with this threat, a threat toward pretending. The word that we use is a word that even our culture tends to use in regards to the church. It's the word hypocrite, hypocrisy. What does that word mean? It means pretending. And in its simplest form of the word, it means to wear a mask, and it was the whole idea of like a, people who were in a drama and how they put on a mask and pretend to be something that they're not. That's where, the word, that's where the word really comes from. I actually thought about like coming out at the beginning today and like just using a mask and talking for a while, but it'd be really hot and nasty and it'd probably freak you out anyway. So that's the picture though. It's, it's somebody pretending to be something. They're pretending to be more like Jesus than we really are. We're pretending to look more mature than we really are. We, we seek the praise that other people get for being at that level, and so we want to pretend like we're at that level. It's pretending to have virtuous character, that you have such morals or beliefs or principles when you really don't possess those things. Now, here's what's wild. I mean, it's almost like in our culture, you're taught to fake it. In a business world, whatever setting you're in, just fake it. You gotta pretend like you got it. God don't play that game. And if there's ever a story in scripture that proves that to you, this ought to be the one. He doesn't play the pretend game. He doesn't play the hypocrite game. And so I wanna show you quickly two, I think, primary ways that people start to walk into hypocrisy. You don't have to, but people do. And so why is it that people start to walk in this threat of pretending? Here's the first one. We forget what the gospel teaches about our relationship with Jesus. We forget it. Now come on, what have we learned in Acts so far? God will show up where you are and then he will tell you what? The truth about you. Now, when God tells you the truth about you, he meets you where you are and then tells you the truth about you. You understand for none of us was that good news in the, in the sense of, what, what's the truth about us? We are sinners. We are sinful people. We have rebelled against God. That's the truth. He meets us where we are. He tells us the truth. That should translate into an understanding that it's okay not to be okay. Because the truth God told me about me is I'm not okay. I got some stuff that needs to change. I got some stuff that needs to grow. And so it's okay for me to know that I'm not yet okay. One day I'll be okay. But not yet, not now. And so what happens is suddenly you got in this story, they are copying an action, selling the field, bringing the money, but the heart behind it, the belief is not there in the gospel. And I'm saying we tend to do the same thing. We act like the gospel's not true when we start pretending. When we fake it, we're not believing this. We're still in process. God's still working on us. The perfection hasn't come yet. Now, yes, positionally, the way we say it, is when God looks at me, he sees his righteousness. Why is that so? Because Jesus has covered me, that's why. I have put my trust in him, he forgives my sin, he wipes me clean. Positionally before God, I am right because Jesus has made me right before him. But practically, um, I'm still kind of messing up most days. Now, hopefully, not on purpose. Sometimes, kind of on purpose, even. I'm still messing up in some things. There's a word in the church world, it's called, you'll hear this, so I want to tell you what, it's called sanctification. And it is describing what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Now, we've already discovered when you, when you put your trust in Jesus, he comes to live within you. Holy Spirit's presence is in you, and he's working. He's working. He's the one that you're marching along, and like you did that thing, and you're like, oh, that, that ain't right. That's him. He's talking. It's like, that's not what Jesus would have done there. What would Jesus do there? And so he, he carves that stuff within you, and he's, he's shaping your life to be like him. But when you forget that you are a sinner in need of grace. And when you forget that you are in this process of sanctification, you will turn your back on the very freeing reality that God has already outed you at the cross. God already called you out at the cross. He said, this is because of our wrong, our sin. That's the truth about us. And when you forget that, then you'll start pretending, and you'll start playing the game of whatever church you're in. What if Ananias and Sapphira would have simply said, we sold this field, and we're bringing the money, and we really want our heart to be like Barnabas, but we're struggling here, because we're still kind of like trusting in our stuff. But we're praying that God will shape our heart. Would you, would you pray that God will shape our heart and that we won't be owned by our stuff and we'll do what God wants us to do? Anybody think God would have taken them out? No, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I, I don't see God taking them out in the moment. No graves are being dug. Admitting the struggle is a part of our strength. Admitting our struggle is a part of our strength. That's why Peter asked the question. It's like, it's like wasn't it your money? And even after you sold the field, was God like guilting you into doing that? No. Nope. Why would you pretend? It's because you forget what the gospel says about you and you think you're having to pretend like you're something that you're not. Our life is just this constant life of confession and repentance. What is it that leads you out of hypocrisy? If that's where you live now, what takes the mask off? It's this ongoing reminder, I need grace, I have no secrets with God, and this is a process. This is a process. Don't forget what the gospel teaches about our relationship with Jesus and then you won't have to pretend like you're perfect all the time. Here's the second way we lean into hypocrisy. We're not willing to connect in relationships that will expose our weaknesses. So the first part is we just don't, we don't want to admit we got weaknesses. Second part is we don't want to lean into relationships that'll, that'll help us with what to do with those weaknesses. Secrets are not good. They're not. Secrets are not good. Walking out your faith alone is not good. Every once in a while, we got to remind each other that doubt and struggle are not all weakness. They're a part of the journey. I'm going to be just very descriptive for you here. Because this is my world. This is my world. I'll watch people come into one of our gatherings. A husband and a wife who will sit next to each other. He puts his arm around her. Every once in a while she reaches over and grabs his hand. They sing. They lift their hands when they praise. Um, they take notes when I'm when I'm, you know, preaching. Well, maybe that's a little too far. Uh, I, that's, just, that's just me dreaming, right? they, t- they take notes when, when we're actually talking. And then the next thing I know, I find out one of them's cheating on the other one. That's my world. One of them's cheating on the other one. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Nobody falls off that cliff by surprise. Nobody's walking along and then it's like all of a sudden, whoop, where'd that come from? Fell off the cliff. Mm -mm. I guarantee you in all of those instances, it starts small, but we don't do what needs to be done about the small. Anybody remember the song long time ago called Slow Fade? Anybody, was it Casting Crowns? Who did Slow Fade? Casting Crowns, Slow Fade. You should look it up. It's an oldie, right? Way back in the good old days. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid. And there's a phrase in there that goes like this, people never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Now, he's a lot more creative to say what I'm trying to say. You don't fall off the cliff in a day. It happens slowly when small things take place and then we don't do what we need to do about them. So... We tend not to address those issues early. You need relationships where you can honestly be able to say, things are not good at my house right now. And you got some people who know what that means, lean into your life and go, okay, how do we need to fight then for your house right now? What do we need to do? And that could take on any number of different directions and levels. You need to have somebody that that you can say, God feels distant to me right now. And they don't look at you like you're the only person on the planet who's ever said that. They go, okay, what do we need to do so that you know you're not alone? The truth is he's with you. How do we walk this out though? And they do what needs to be done. You need somebody that you can say, somebody's, you know, Somebody's flirting with me at work, and I, I don't want to like it, but I kind of do. It's like, all right, what do we need to do? Now, Jeff, people don't do that, man, because that's really that that's really difficult. That's why no, nobody does that. Or you're, you're, you're crazy if you think people would do that. That's really difficult. No, let me tell you difficult. Difficult is you do nothing in that moment. You just keep walking until suddenly you do arrive at the cliff, and it's the point that you are unfaithful, at which point you lose trust with your spouse, you lose trust with your children, and your family crumbles. That's difficult. That's difficult. The Bible speaks to this over and over and over again. For example, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Most of you have heard that phrase somewhere. Some of you are like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Again, something really smart in the Bible. I will, I will help You know, anybody who comes to me and says, hey, Here's where I'm struggling, and I need to know what to do. How how do I, and I'll help them. But my very next step is almost always, who else is gonna help us? So if it's a guy, and he's saying this is my struggle, I'm gonna challenge him to think of who does he trust, another guy that he can bring into that process so that together we can fight. Because what does it say? I mean, two's good, but three, You pick three, we are seriously loaded for battle here. If I help a lady, I will immediately want to connect her, not just to me, but to another lady who she would trust. Because three, he says. So we just put it into practice. We put it into practice. Let me show you another one. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In, our, in the church world, this has kind of become a man verse. It's weird. It's got men of sort of, t- it's like a man sharpens, sharpens iron, right? Maybe it's because it's got iron in it. And ladies are like, we don't, we don't want to deal with iron. But I'm telling you, this is not just a man verse. God knows what he's talking about. People sharp, they sharpen each other. Let me give you one more. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sins Deceitfulness. You need some people who will tell me the truth about me. You need some people who will tell you the truth about you. See, we have this this perception, I think, at times that we talk accountability, but we often talk about accountability like it's this police force that's set up within the church. Accountability doesn't happen from a police force, accountability happens from voluntarily opening your heart to some other people that you believe are trustworthy. We can't put together a police force here to hold each other accountable. It happens when you know you need it and you shape the force in your life. Oh, Jeff, there was this time I trusted somebody and I told them something I look at him like why? They 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 abused my trust. I'm like You're kidding. Cause that, that has never happened before. Isn't it crazy sometimes the barriers we set up for ourselves? I mean, really? Okay. One time you trusted in somebody and they weren't trustworthy. That means you gotta do better at finding trustworthy people, right? Here's what I'm saying there's not another way. God hasn't designed another way. You gotta keep trying until you attach to people who really are trustworthy. This is the design, there's not another one. We gotta be honest with a few people about our weaknesses, and we all gotta know we all got them. And if you say you don't, you're probably a pretender. Because we're not the Warriors or the Cavaliers, for you basketball fans, who are winning playoff games by 50. We're not a bunch of superstars who are just blowing this thing out of the water. We are a people with a bunch of weaknesses that God has put together on the court, and when it's all said and done, people are going, they won? Yeah, we did. It's our coach. It's our coach. And our whole life becomes stories of people going, they won that? Yeah. But it's not because we were superstars. It's because God is who he is. And he takes weak people who refuse to pretend. And then he grows them like crazy. I'm telling you, you will never grow where you pretend. So like, If you want to know God's word better, but you already pretend like you got that all together, you will not grow in it. Promise. You want to fight through lust, but you pretend like it's not an issue, you won't grow through it. You won't. You hide it, you won't grow through it. You want to be better at what he's called you to be as a witness, but you act like you already got that, you won't grow. You want to have a, like a real prayer life, closeness with God, but you pretend like you already got it, you won't grow. As long as you pretend, you won't grow in those areas. We don't pretend. We're called to repent, which just simply means turn to Jesus. We admit, man, we've lied about some of this stuff. We want to know what it means to walk in victory. Can anybody see where that would be a threat? All the time, at any given moment, any season of a church, we have constantly got to remind ourselves what the gospel declares about us. Yes, we are forgiven, but man, we are still in process. And we, we got some weaknesses that we're still working on. So let's quit pretending like we got it all together. now. The rest of chapter five is mostly what we've already dealt with in chapter four and part of three. It's a threat from the outside. So it goes back to how people are rejecting the gospel and they're going after the apostles. And, and we're the next time we talk Acts, you're going to see this just really accelerate to a to a wild level. Um But I'm going to go ahead and jump to Acts chapter 6, and I want to show you the second threat, which is not as long as the first, all right? Here's what we got. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. First threat was what? Moving toward pretending, okay? Second threat. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, you're saying. Jeff, what is the Hellenistic Jews? Hang on, I'll tell you. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. We're going to learn about him more in this study. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and this is my favorite, Nicholas from Antioch. A convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. You know it's getting serious when the preachers start believing God, right? What's happening here? What's a Hellenistic widow, right? Well, in the background for God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, There were a number of times that God allowed them to be scattered. The reason he allowed for them to be scattered is because God said, follow me. They're like, nah. And so God allowed other nations at times to come in and overtake the land and scatter the people. 722-ish, the northern kingdom falls. 588-ish, the south kingdom falls they were scattered people left their land they began to live in other places and some of them ended up settling some of them even ended up staying outside of Israel itself even when they were allowed to come back outside there was a Hellenistic or Greek influence a lot of them spoke more Greek than they did Hebrew after a while so here's what just happened they tend to all, remember, come back to Jerusalem for, like, the feast and the ce- celebrations like Pentecost that we just talked about not long ago. Remember that? And we talked about how everybody would come back. Well, they've all just come back for Pentecost. Holy Spirit shows up. Peter preaches the sermon. 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus. You see it begin to grow, and then we're at 5,000, and we think sometimes that's just like sometimes maybe calculating men, so we're not sure how many thousands of people actually are, are trusting him. Some of those people stay. They stay. Who wouldn't want to stay in the middle of this, right? I mean, you see these kinda, this kind of stuff going on? It's like, we're we going we gonna to stay right here, right? Right? Somebody put the sign on the property back back where we're at because we, we are relocating. This is, this is what we want to be in the midst of. Now, I, I honestly have tended to see this text, I think, a little bit skewed much of my life. But I'm asking you to notice there is no rebuke of anybody in this story. There's no repentance where somebody goes, man, we were so wrong for what we did. It's not in this story. This is not about cliques in the church. This is not about prejudice in the church where they're looking at one group going, we don't love them. We don't, we don't care about them. This is not doing something wrong intentionally. This story was about, about a need for adjustment. Because most of the Hellenistic ju- uh, widows lived other places. Now, they're in Jerusalem, and it's like, well, who's taking care of them? It wasn't anybody's fault. It was suddenly a new scenario that the church needed to adjust to. In other words, they had to change. And here's the second threat. If the first threat is a move toward pretending, The second threat with a 30,000 foot view is a drift away from changing. Some drift toward pretending, then sometimes it's a drift away from changing. It's an unwillingness to make adjustments for the sake of making disciples in a more effective way. You understand that we will always as a church be confronted with the need for adjustments, the need for change, This was an issue of widows being cared for. The church is never static. We are are always growing. We are always developing. That's because we're dealing with both a living organism, the church, and an organization part to that. And, And that means you're just always looking at things and what needs to be adjusted along the way to meet the needs of people who are there and to accomplish the mission that you're called to. No, the church doesn't change for the sake of change, but she does at times have to modify how she operates in order to make disciples in a more effective way. The problem is church people, church people have pets, and they're not dogs, and they're not cats, they're cows. We, we call them sacred cows. We did a series one time. Anybody remember the cow tipping series? Anybody remember that? That was a blast. We did the whole video thing, you know. Got city boy Phil, uh, uh, Peter out in the, in the pasture. Remember that whole deal? That was a blast. Cow tipping. This is what we were talking about. How does this happen? How does this happen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how I think it happens. When God meets you where you are and tells you the truth about you, and you walk away from that going, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Finally, somebody told me the truth about me. God loves me this much. He just forgave your sin, adopts you into the family of God. That's like the biggest thing that's ever going to happen to you. Let me put it to you this way. Some of you, he might have done that in vacation Bible school. And if he did, you will have a tendency for the rest of your life to make vacation Bible school. Where'd my cow go? (laughs) That's vacation Bible school. No, you can't take it away. Why? Because God changed my life through it. Careful. He didn't need vacation Bible school, it's just what he used, the setting, in order to do that. It was him who did the changing. Now, come on, we're not, I'm, as far as I know, we're not, like, shutting down Vacation Bible School tomorrow, but what if we needed to? No, really, what if we needed to? And this is the moment that anybody that's their sacred, man, they squirm, it's like squirming in your seat, we, we should never do that, really? Be careful, because we're making something our God that can't be our God, um... I was trying to think through some stuff that would like, revivals. Anybody remember revivals? Like week-long, week-long revivals. People come in, preach every night, right? Good stuff. Like, but a lot of churches now don't do revivals. You understand they don't do, they don't choose not to do revivals because they're trying to be aligned with Satan. They don't do revivals lots of times due to how they believe to be a most effective way to connect in people in the day in which we live. We may not like that, but the truth of the matter is, where are we at and how does this best work in the day in which we live to accomplish the mission to which we've been called? And so when we mix those things uh, uh, around and we suddenly make the cows the foundation, the cows aren't the foundation, right? God's word has to be the foundation. Jesus is that foundation. Here's the other way. It also happens when we misunderstand the church's purpose. And if we think the church's purpose is for us to come together and be as safe and comfortable as we can, then we don't change squat. That's a Hebrew word, right? We don't change anything because you don't mess with it. You just keep it safe and you keep it comfortable. The only thing we change is what what would make it better for us. But when we understand we're a battleship, we're not a cruise ship, we're we're called to be a battleship in this world, then then it changes what we're willing to do and change. The church's mission, we got it in the first chapter of Acts, who who gave it to us? Jesus did, that's that's a pretty good source, right? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. So we got power, we got purpose, and we got the plan. That's what we've learned. We're making disciples, which means reach and develop. We're not research and develop. We're reach and develop. That's what we do. How do we know that mission? Jesus declared it. It's the word of God. Thank goodness Jeff didn't make that up. It's his. The word of God is our authority. That is the foundation. So God's word determines what we believe That's our theology. And then our theology shapes, then, our philosophy for how we do ministry. And our philosophy for how we do ministry, in turn, informs our practices, our methods. But we're built on God's word. Sometimes I would describe it like this. Every once in a while, at your house, the furniture moves around, right? So like every once in a while, and more times than not, I'm not trying to be, more times than not, she's like, hey, what if the chair was over there? What if that chair was there, or this chair was here? So the furniture moves. Most guys are like, oh, yeah, we got furniture, right? So you move the furniture. Every once in a while, you might even knock out a wall if it's not a load-bearing wall, Right? Because, like, man, if we knock this wall out, we could, like, make a lot more space here. I mean, this could, like, this could feel totally different. And people could, like, we could have, like, big old dinner here. We could have whatever. So we move the furniture. We might even knock out a wall. But you don't touch the foundation unless unless it's broken. And when the foundation is God's word, it ain't broken. Ever. And so God's word stays the foundation for who we are and what we are called to be and do. The mission and our message never changes, but sometimes the methods do. And currently, we are going after something this summer that is just um, because of that reasoning. Um, It's a little something called Financial Peace University. And I'm going to roll back through this this morning because I want to make sure that I explain to you what I think is an opportunity being laid out before us. Um, Why Financial Peace University? Because lots of people are hurting when it comes to their finances, a lot. There is a lot of tension in people's lives because of their finances. And then I'm gonna add to that, there is a mission effect for what we are called to do and be as a church that the better I know how to handle what God has entrusted to my family, the better I'm able to use those resources for his kingdom. All right, there's a lot at stake here. Man, if if more of us could get out of debt, and I, I would use the word slavery, Because if you're really honest, that's what it feels like to you. Where your money owns you and determines what you do versus you owning your money and determining what it does. There is a story that I heard one of our own mention just a week or so ago. And as soon as I heard him say it, it's like we all need to hear this. And so this week, we just did a quick sit down, a quick interview and I want you to hear Jim's story. Watch this.
0: My name is Jim Bagby. I go to the Garden City campus. Uh, for you that go to Lee Seminar Adrian, hi. Uh, um, I thought I'd tell a little bit about myself. I've been in the construction business. It's going to be my 40th year of doing a drywall. I've run my own business for the last past 32 years and, uh, and uh, done quite well at times. Uh, in 2007, things changed for us drastically. Um, the crash hit to the housing industry, I went from doing 60 to 70 new homes a year to doing one. From 2008 to 2014, I've done one new home each year, so I've done seven in seven years, which was, my, which, which was a good month in the, in the past. And so needless to say, our income dropped, it dropped by 80%. uh, So we're now living off 20% of what we used to. And uh, as we were struggling through that, I got to watch other people that I knew well uh, lose their homes, uh, uh, go through divorces because of the financial stress. Um, The uh, good friend that I knew well, who's a carpenter, even took his own life because of it, the stresses of it. Uh, but one of the things we are thankful for is our, a church we attended when we were first married uh, 33 years ago. Uh, had a, a Christian Concepts finance seminar uh, put on by Larry Piquette, who's one of the uh, mentors of Doug, Dave Ramsey, uh, and in those we learned some principles, and those principles had guided our uh, handling of our finances at, at that point, and. Uh, and it's those things, I think, that helped us survive. Uh, but those principles helped guide us through that storm. Uh, principles like uh, trust God. Principles like uh, put Him first, even in your finances. Uh, all blessings come from Him. Uh, and we tried to practice those, and one of the big keys for us was to be wise in using debt. So we had very little debt going in and uh, that's what probably kept us from uh, going that route of bankruptcy or something like that. So I'm thankful for that, our church at that time for uh, putting something out there that taught us about finances. Uh, so if you're in debt or if you feel like you're on solid ground, uh, this class is still for you. They want to give you uh, wisdom in handling your money, It will give you freedom, uh, to be able to use your money the way God directs you—that's really what we all want—is to be able to respond when God asks us to respond. So head out to the eye center and get signed up today.
1: I was in the room when I heard him tell a part of that story that his income dropped by eighty percent. And he still made it because of the principles that he had been taught. I'm like, okay, if your income dropped by 80%, would you make it? about 50%? about 20%? And most people I know look back at me and go, man, I'm not doing it with the 100% right now. And that's my point. That's my point. There are so many of us who feel the pressure of all that. What if there really was something that you could begin to implement that, that really has its foundation in God's word? That's why I like this study. It's got its foundation in God's word, and it is a method built around those foundational principles of how to teach it and how to help people grasp it. What we want to do this summer is offer it to adults, and students and kids. What if your kids could get those principles that they were able to so structure what they did with their resources that when those surprises come in their lifetime, which they're going to come, right? The stuff always happens, that they would be best prepared to know how to do that. So when are we going to do it? We're going to do it on Sundays during Bible study time. That's when we want to offer it, all right? So during the Bible study hour. So this campus, it would be immediately following this time. So it's about an hour. The way it works is the study is video teaching driven. So um, Dave Ramsey is the one who does the majority of the teaching. You'll be able to watch it at home. You're like, well, I don't know if mine's fast enough. Then you need to get somewhere where you can watch it. You know, come to the vault. It's, it's fast, right? Come somewhere where you can watch the video during the week. And then on Sunday mornings here, we'll work through the application of what do we do with, with what we heard this week and how do we put this into play. Um, we'll have an adult class, student class, and kids' classes, all right? And, and I'm grateful for the people who have stepped up over this last, week, week and a half of saying yes, we will either teach adults or yes, we will teach students or yes, we will teach kids, all right? I'm grateful for them. In addition to that, on Tuesday nights, Tuesday nights from seven to 8.30, we're gonna offer an alternate class at the vault in Harrisonville, which puts it in the middle of everybody. So an hour and a half, why is it longer? Because on that night, we're also gonna show the video again, the same one that would have been covered on Sunday, that you watched at home, but we're going to show the video again and an opportunity to work through application again. So maybe you couldn't do it on the Sunday, you can do it on the Tuesday. Now, I'm asking you to do the Sunday because as adults, if you only do Tuesday, when your kids don't get it. Your kids don't get it. So I'm asking you to do Sunday for no other reason so that your kids can walk through it. And then as adults, if you want to wrap back around and do it on Tuesday, it probably won't hurt most of us, right? Then do that. June 11 is when we start, it's just a few weeks from now. June 11, it's nine weeks. You're like, I'm going on vacation. Me too. But we can still do this. And at some point, we just, there's, for some of you, there's not nine weeks ever in a row that you don't miss. So you're going to miss one. You got the videos. You're able to keep up that way. You got some alternate times. We'll even help you catch up if you need to do that. I'm saying, don't let the fact that you're going to go on a vacation some week in the summer or on a mission trip, don't let that be the reason. Don't let it be the reason. Um, My family is going to help. We're probably going to, the only one I can actually attend is the Adrian one because of my schedule. I speak here and then I go to Lee Summit and then Adrian at night. So I can attend the one at Adrian but my family is also gonna combine with some other folks to help teach the kids there. So we're gonna rotate and teach kids there, and on the night we teach kids there, then we're gonna go to the Tuesday one. I'm saying it, it'll work. It'll work, how, however you end up wanting to do that. We, we really, with multiple campuses, we can do that. The cost is 100 bucks. And this week, I got past the point of like being bothered by that, because I was. I was, was like 100 bucks, and I hate to ask people to do that, because you know how people respond to to the whole money thing. And it's like, are you kidding me for a people who struggle financially and for a shot that at a hundred bucks, there could be some principles by somebody who has proven this over years and years and years of time. Here's a professional organization that does this for their living and then uses those resources to multiply that and and make it continue to expand. Why would we not buy into that? It's a hundred bucks. I'm sort of at the point where it's like, if you had, and this is just my advice, it's not Dave Ramsey's, all right, so don't, don't quote me, but my advice would almost be like, it's like, Jeff, I don't know if we have it, man. We might have like $100 credit left to our name. I would probably recommend you use the $100 credit to take this glass. Because if you're in that spot, you need some principles. And you're probably not going to take that $100 credit and dig out in any other way. Use it. And let's let's take a shot at this. Heart of Life doesn't get any of that money. It goes toward the organization. All right? We're saying $100 per household, which means Heart of Life is paying for your kids and your students, because that's separate material. We're going to pay for it. So that $100 per household. So... No, that doesn't count your third cousin who lives in the next town, your household, all right? Come on, don't do that stuff. It's like, well, why can't we just buy one pack and everybody watch it? Because it's illegal. I'm sure God would bless that. You think? If we as a church went to our knees and said, God, please help us to get healthy financially and we're going to pirate all the material right? After the story we read today? Seriously? (laughs) It's it's somebody's business. It's like, let's respect that. This is our problem. You know what I'm saying? It's our problem with money. It's like we we, we don't have any, and so we're always trying to figure out. Here's some good news. If you're already a Financial Peace University member, which means some of you have done this perhaps before. If you're already a member for 50 bucks, you can renew that membership, which means you get a brand new book, access to the new videos, the whole deal for 50 bucks, all right? That's kind of a good deal to be able to be up to date and to be able to march through it. Um, It's like, that's, that's pretty reasonable to get healthy. That's pretty reasonable to really... Um, Be able to take some steps um, that perhaps we could be well. Here's the action. The two action points today. One, we need some of you to um, help us in the nursery. That's the only thing we don't have fully filled. We need some people who will help us in the nursery. So, if you're already... um, on board with the nursery system around here, which means you've already had, you know, that's background checks and we don't just like let anybody into nursery, right? There's a system, there's a process, background checks, a lot of stuff. So if you're already in that, let us know. Maybe you'd be willing to serve in one place and go to it in another. That's kind of like what my family's going to do. Um, or maybe you've been thinking, I need to serve in the nursery and you like been at that a while. It's like, well, get on board. We'll take you through the process, do the background checks, we'll get it done, right? We need some folks who will help us with nursery. You might could even do it one week and let somebody else do it the other week. We, we just would we need nine folks to cover that here, you know, nine. Actually, we need two in each, but you understand what I'm saying. You do one week. Second point of action is we need you to sign up. So I'm asking you, if you're going to do it, to not keep walking out the door every week and not sign up. We need you to sign up so we know what we're working with. And so we know kind of how to plan for that. We'll we have to order some material. If you, even if you can't pay for it today, get on the list. So out those doors when you leave, there's a table out there. Um, is Darlis going to be at the table? Why wouldn't you want to go to that table? All right, Darlis will be at the table. At least go by, see Darlis, get your name on the list. Even if you can't pay today, get on the list. But if you can, go ahead. Um, you, can, you can pay online. Um, you, you will take a check. It's like, oh, a check. Yes, we'll take a check. Um, and there's this thing called cash. We will take that too. Um, well, however you want to do it. If you can't do it today, get on the list, though, so we know what we're going to need to order and we know how to start to walk through those things. Why? Because I don't think we're missing on the fact we got a need. We got some stuff that's broken and we got a need. So we're gonna try something different this summer to say, let's fix it. Let's do our best to see God fix that. I'll pray, we'll see. God, I don't think we're missing this thing. There are lots of folks who are hurting in this particular area. And I thank you for a place where we don't have to pretend. Um, I I thank you that this really is a safe place for us to be able to acknowledge some of those things together. um, And to be able to work toward the kind of freedom that you really intend for your kids to live in. So, God, would you protect us from the drift toward pretending? Would you protect us from the drift away from making a change, making an adjustment that would allow us to go after what would make us healthy? God, I'm asking that your church could be blessed. I'm asking that families here could be blessed. God, it's worth it to do the difficult stuff for your great name. We praise you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we stand together, we're going to sing.